Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. It's your favorite single girl, Andrea Bain. Welcome to the Single Girl Problems Podcast, your one-stop shop for real relationship talk. On today's show, I'm super excited because we're talking all things millennial and dating. So many conversations about millennials. Are they having sex? Aren't they having sex? Why aren't they having sex? What's going on with them? And we're going to answer all of those questions. We're going to touch on a few things. First of all, many of you may not know this, but they're called the hookup generation. But listen to this. 50% of millennials in the 20 to 24 age bracket are virgins. Like, virgins. I'm so surprised by that. Maybe some of you are shrugging your shoulders like, not surprised. Totally surprised. We're going to get into that. Also, this new wave of feminism and sexual liberation for for the millennials. What does it look like? What are their ideologies behind it? We're going to get into that. And, you know, I'm going to round things off talking about, of course, dating, depression, and alcohol. All my three favorite food groups. Um, But before we get started, just a quick reminder to anybody out there who has their kids in the room, listen up. Listener discretion advised. During the show, we will be discussing adult content. Things are going to get really real, so pour yourself a drink, whatever you drink. It doesn't have to be alcohol, because, you know, I don't want to assume. Get your snacks and strap in. Now, my guest today, I'm so excited to talk to her. She is the author of the new book, Every Boy I Ever Kiss. Please welcome Nelwyn Lampert to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, as you can tell, okay, so I got your book. And I was like, okay, good, I'll read this. And then I was like, you know, I was sitting on my coffee table for a while. And then I read the first paragraph. And then I couldn't put it down. And then I was like, okay, I got to take my time because I'm going to fly through this book. And then I'm like, you know what? I probably should make notes because there's so many things I want to touch on. So ignore all the like orange post-it notes where I have little things because I'm like, (laughs) when I talk to her, there's nothing. I want to discuss every ounce of this book because it's so good. Um, So first, I want to talk. I want to start with why did you decide to write the book? So I always say that I wrote the book that I needed to read when Mm -hmm. I was, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 25. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it just it didn't exist. And I felt not only was there not a book out there, but I felt like every representation that I saw in the media about virginity and virginity loss in particular was just so screwed up. Even when it was trying to be sex positive and feminist, it just kind of fell a little bit short. Mm -hmm. Recently, I think it's starting to get better. In the last very like or at least maybe more six months a year yeah. yeah a little bit more authentic but yeah I just really felt like um, hopefully it would help someone like the past me <laughs> well I think it's going to help a lot of people because one of the things that I noticed when I was reading this book is that we are living parallel lives first of all like so many things I was like oh my gosh my first job was at the library oh my gosh I was that girl with that horrible locker down that horrible hallway <laughs> oh, no. oh my gosh I was that girl who had to like drum up her her you know her 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 self-esteem to talk to that guy and for nothing like for what like it never ever it was always the fantasy of what that relationship that I wanted was going to be never flushed out into reality ever. So I was always in this state of like, oh, God, like, when's it going to happen for me? Which kind of led to, and I never thought about it until I read the book, but it did lead to a little bit of like a depression of like, I'm always going to be that girl. Like, I'm the smart girl. And people kind of make it worse when they're like, you're so pretty and you're outgoing. I don't understand. Oh, my God. They make it so much worse. They make it worse because you're like. I know. That's why I'm going on in my head when I'm at home going, why am I the only girl who's not dating? I don't understand. What else do I have to do? We're all doing the same thing here. What is it? And that girl, and then I start to get like mean about it in my head because I'm like, that girl's not even nice. Oh my God. I did too. It's like it turns you into this weird, crazy monster. And I mean, luckily I don't, I hope, I don't think I acted on those thoughts, but they were there in my head sometimes. And I, even when I was thinking them, they were not thoughts I was happy to be thinking or, or, you know, I was really ashamed of, of that. And it just, 
Because you get a little competitive in a weird way, right? With the friends, not out loud to their faces, but the ones who get boyfriends, you start looking around because you're trying to compare yourself and figure out, well, why does she have a boyfriend? Why do all the boys in school like her? And what am I doing wrong? Yeah, especially when you're young, too, and your self-esteem and your confidence is already... Yeah. Yeah, and for me, even high school, and for me, that phase lasted a long time, so (laughs) even extended a little into undergrad... Um, no, parallel yeah. lives. Me too. Like it, it kept going. And then the longer it goes on, the more it eats away at your self-esteem. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then there are certain times where I don't know about you, but I like, and I wrote about this in my book, of course, where you start to think about settling because you're like, listen, maybe if I'm not as picky and I just kind of like, because when I'm in junior high, like the list of things he had to be was so long. And then by, you know, second year university, I was like, listen, <laughs> if he could just yep. be somewhat decent. I'll take that guy. And I started like to lower my standards because just so I could have somebody, which was just the worst. And I tell every young girl, never do that. Never, ever do that. I totally agree. And I think you can kind of see that in the book where I start to, especially not so much when it came to relationships. I think Mm -hmm. that I had a pretty, I still maintained a pretty solid idea of what I wanted out of a boyfriend. But for me about just wanting to lose my virginity and feeling like I just just kept going wrong like I went okay so for okay you know started off wanting to maybe lose my virginity to a boyfriend and Mm -hmm. I was like okay maybe not a boyfriend maybe just you know a few dates with a guy and then okay maybe just one date and then okay fine a one night stand fine I'll just I'll take it it's (laughs) fine I'll just throw it at the the first stranger like so um yeah so and that was I mean well let's explore that let's talk about this the feeling you had to kind of get rid of your virginity where do you think that idea came from why did you feel that way I think it was something that I felt more and more the older I got. Mm-hmm. And I felt like mm, around the time I turned 20, it started to feel like there was this social idea that if you haven't lost your virginity mm-hmm. and you want to, it mm-hmm. would be different if you were making the choice consciously to say, no, I want to wait for marriage or wait for if whatever. you religious but, or, or yeah. whatnot, right? Yeah. But if you want to lose your virginity and as a woman, you for some reason can't or don't mm-hmm. then it must be because there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. and so that's what I internalized and I think that we have the social idea that for women it's very easy to have sex if they want to and that's well that's the message everywhere you go right and that's a really problematic issue for women it's also a problematic issue for men because that also upholds a lot of stereotypes about masculinity mm-hmm. and virility and performance and all these like you could go into a whole yeah, other discussion whole, about yeah. about how that idea is problematic for both, both sides of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it kind of it came from there. It came from this feeling that I was failing at something that I was supposed to, that was supposed to come naturally. That's interesting. I love yeah. that you say that because I had, like, as much as I identify with a lot of things, that was something where I felt the opposite because I didn't lose my virginity until much later, but I attribute it to first, my mother gave me the sex talk at nine. And if you want to make sure your kid does not have sex, give them a very clinical description of intercourse when they're still you know, riding bikes and playing with hula hoops. That'll put them off sex for a long time. So we do have parallel lives because oh. I got it really young too. But I think I got like an added an added bonus follow-up. Oh, you got a follow-up. <laughs> what was the follow-up? Yeah, the follow-up was like, and you should start masturbating. Not oh. at nine, not at nine. Okay. But like the follow-up came a few years later, like 15, 16. See, the word masturbate never has come yeah. out of my mother's mouth. Not so. in my direction anyway. <laughs> um, there was never any talk about self-pleasure or orgasm or anything like relationship like when you get into a sexual relationship it was just a clinical this is sex this um, the man's penis gets erect and then it will ejaculate and what comes out is sper- like it was very clinical right. nine and I remember my mother giving me that speech and I was in my mind I was listening because I couldn't help it because it was just the two of us on her bed in her bedroom door closed uh, but then I was thinking to myself did I do something wrong like is it I'm being punished wow. clearly but I don't know what I did wrong to get and it was helpful because I had all the information. So when the sex talks or the anything that came up in the schoolyard, I did know. I was not one of those kids who's like, when a woman gets pregnant, it comes out of her butt. Like, I wasn't one of those idiots, <laughs> which I was very grateful for, by the way. When I was in those conversations, I was like, you guys are a bunch of idiots. But that also made me put off sex because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I know how this all works. 
But at the same time, I had the opposite idea where it's like you held your virginity like a special little flower. This is like the pearl inside the clam. And you're going to hold on to it. And that boy has to jump through all of these hoops of fire in order for him to get it. And it was that in itself. I know you you guys can't see. No one's making the best like, oh, God, face. It's a very cringy face. It's cringy because it's like it also kind of sets up this like, what is this? Like, what is going on? And then the make matters worse. I did meet a guy and I did lay out all the rules of like, if I'm this girl and I've been holding on to this special thing. And if you want, you've got to do X, Y and Z. And he did X, Y and Z. But he was still an asshole. Right. Right. And the reality was I didn't have the maturity or the relationship maturity to recognize that he was not the right person. And I think I'm like, well, that was the missing piece where it's like you can tell me about the mechanics of it, but you also have to teach the relationship and like all of that stuff, that big chunk that goes along with sex. Yeah. So it's interesting that we kind of took opposite. Yeah. How old were you exactly were you when you lost your virginity? 21. Me too. Yeah, see, parallel lives. It's crazy. Oh, my God, that is ridiculous. Really crazy. Okay, now, what do you remember, like, when you think back on that time uh, when you finally lost your virginity, how did you feel after the first time? Do you remember? Yeah, I felt, um, I felt relieved, I think. I think Mm -hmm. I felt really glad that it was kind of over, dealt with, Um, (laughs) which is so, I mean, that's so problematic in its own way, right? Mm-hmm. That it's framed that way, that it was framed that way in my mind. I did have a positive experience. I did have an experience that was, you know, respectful and considerate yeah. and um, all of that. So I was happy with how it went mm-hmm. in terms of just feeling, you know, comfortable and relatively safe and all that. Yeah. Um, Which is important too. Yeah. And I think that was really huge like that was the thing for me where I kept lowering my standards in certain ways but I always wanted to feel that I could um be able to communicate yeah with the other that person. you're with a respectful person that yeah. was not going to turn around and like order you an uber before it was even over and tell you to get the hell out yeah, yeah. exactly I was yeah. like you know I don't need you to lay rose petals at my feet but I need you to I need to feel comfortable to talk to you and if you know my you know. first and last name that would be great yeah. if you're respectful <laughs> that <laughs> would be, also be great might yeah. be handy so yeah. yeah I felt relieved I felt um, sort of I don't want to say underwhelmed because I didn't expect it to be like I was amazing. underwhelmed like, I was I think so underwhelmed I kind of knew that the first time it's not gonna feel the best I did was people, kind of. Did people make you feel like it was going to be like really painful and bad? Because that was a message no. I got. I mean, I felt like I kind of got this middle ground message where like it shouldn't hurt, mm-hmm. and if it hurts, then you're you maybe want to stop and talk about that. Okay. Um, so I got that message. And I got then the opposite. I also see that's the thing. I think that's problematic because everyone says, "Oh, it's supposed to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be so painful." And I think, but I think also on the other hand, it's probably never going to be the best sex you're ever going to have like especially like the first time you're you're still figuring a lot of stuff out so I was kind of prepared for it to be like a mediocre middle Mm -hmm. and that's that's I mean yeah it was probably slightly more than mediocre but it was you know it was fine so I you're not selling me by the way I love the way it wasn't it wasn't the worst but it was fine no like it was that's hilarious. I'm sure he feels really good. If he's listening, he's like, <laughs> like oh, shit. awesome. No, like, Thanks, it was... Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Um, it was pretty much what I expected. So I didn't feel, un- in terms of like the actual sex part was pretty much what I expected. So I didn't feel underwhelmed in terms of like the sex part because it's pretty much what I expected. Mm-hmm. But I felt underwhelmed in that I felt like I was supposed to maybe feel different or that I was supposed to have had some kind of transformative experience. Or like birds were gonna chirp and like yeah and like or music that, was gonna play and you're gonna feel like a woman afterwards yeah and I was like no nope. and I was actually kind of relieved I was like oh yeah I'm actually just the same person that I was when I woke up yesterday and actually nothing's different and that's probably the best which is great actual outcome that's yeah. actually probably the I best felt, yeah I felt underwhelmed but I also know that because I held it up as this like all of these things had to happen and I was going to be this special girl because I saved it for this special person that when it was over I was really surprised like I didn't tell him that but in my head I was like wow that was a waste of five minutes like wow what was <laughs> oh, I no. holding on to that for that went by like nothing um also, all the, also all the only pain. five minutes I said five minutes <laughs> And all the pain everybody's talking about, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. And even he was like, are you okay? And I was like, dude, I'm fine. Like, I'm completely fine. And then he was looking at me 
like maybe she's not a virgin. I was like, uh, uh, oh, uh, don't God. you dare. Because I was like, don't you dare. But I was like, I, th- I think, well, we're all given that message that the yeah. first time for a girl is super painful in your hymen and all this jazz. And it was really just like, <sighs> could have had a V8 kind of feeling. <laughs> I really want to get in because there's so much conversation right now. Um, they talk about your generation, the millennials, like you guys are this special group of like weirdos that are lazy and undersexed and no one seems to know how to describe your generation. And I'm like, maybe we're making too much of it, but I love that you talk about it from your perspective, but you you kind of slide in some stats that really surprise me. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it off the top where 50% of millennials between age 20 and 24 are still virgins. Why? What's ha- like, what's going on? You guys are the first generation to have free access to porn. Yeah. Like in my day, do you understand, like, do you understand the hoops you'd have to go oh, through to yeah, get like a dirty yeah. magazine? Oh yeah. I oh, know. Oh my God. I have, I have a lot of friends who are Gen X and they, I love their stories. About, it was ridiculous. You know, dial up. I mean, I remember dial up, but, um, you know, <laughs> or you to wait. Like, there was one specific channel here in this city where you had to wait maybe at 2am they would throw, they would show blue movies, but you would have to wait until a, your parents have to be dead asleep. You'd have to watch oh it with gosh. the TV all the way down and heaven forbid someone walks in cause it, it was so much or you had to have an older sibling who right. went and had those things underneath their mattress, waited until they left their house. So you could like there was so, you know, so much. And you guys have free access, but you guys aren't having sex. What's going on? Well, I actually think that's part of it. And there is this part of me. I mean, it's always easy to look at the past with rose colored glasses when you didn't live through it. So I don't mm-hmm. want to do that. But there is still this part of me that's like, oh, maybe it was better before all of this access, because mm-hmm. I think I think a few things are happening. I mean, I'm not a sociologist, but mm-hmm. um what I'm what I'm seeing is I think there's there's quite a few factors at play and I think people are still figuring out what's behind these statistics. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing is so much access to porn um makes it contributes to sexual anxiety, I think. I think there's oh. this feeling of you need to live up to what you see. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot of pressure on having this sort of um you know Porny sex, I guess, and I think that goes both for men and women. <laughs> I've never heard that, but it's like, so porny. I know exa- when you said that, I'm like, I know exactly what you mean, right? And, and like, uh, uh, it's like, please, yeah. And even the bodies that you see, I mean, yes. those are not those are extremes. normal bodies. And you know, yeah. you're if you're looking at that stuff from a really young age, I I wasn't. My my mom gave me um, like erotic literature. You. Sh- but I not stole, visuals. The, I um, know. Funny thing is, I stole my mother's erotic literature. Oh, that's hilarious. And Love I would it. read it like at a very yeah, young age. My mom gave it. me one book um, that was like feminist erotic literature when I was about sixteen. Your mom was very progressive. My mom's the best. Just gonna put that High out there. High fives, mom. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's pretty great. Wow. It was called her erotica. Shut up! Oh, yeah, oh yeah. I was, was just reading Sidney yeah. Sheldon, and like oh, I'd I get to this. It's this. He had a whole bunch of books, and it was uh, he had a series, and he always had like a sex scene. But you know, it was like as a child, it was like a lot. I'm sure if an adult read it right. now, it's like ah, it's nothing. Yeah. But I would read and read. I'm like, my body feels different when I read this page. Oh my god! And I yeah. read it over and I over. I had those books. I would go to the library and I'd go to the adult section at a really young age because I was like annoyingly obnoxious and precocious. And yeah. then I would stumble upon the like sex scene and be like, oh my god, what's happening? Yeah. And it would just be something totally normal. But anyway, um, no, I think that seeing, I can imagine if I had been, you know. 12, 13, 14, 15, and already insecure in my body and already not mm-hmm. having, still working on your confidence and then seeing all of these images all the time, how that would have really, oh, for really sure. affected me. And um, so there's that. And then there's also, I think, with things like uh, Tinder and all of these apps, and I think you talk about this in your book as mm-hmm. well, about how there's just so much choice. Yeah. And that, that some people have said that people just keep swiping and they keep just kind of moving on to their next option and they yep. don't actually make the step of actually having the sex yeah like they're just so busy um or not maybe they're having the sex but they're not having a connection because you're so you're so concerned or so addicted to the fact that you can have another one of these you can have another connection with another stranger maybe that person's sex will be better or maybe this person and so there's always this like insatiable need for the next person even while you're on a date you're not really focused on this person because ping your phone has just let you know that somebody who you also swiped on yesterday is getting back to in your message so now you're not even engaged yeah exactly there's a lot of first dates and not as many second dates i've read some articles about that as well with sort of the millennials so i think there's a lot of 
factors with a lot of it to do with this the porn and the dating apps and the technology and the access. Yeah, and probably the dopamine that kind of gets released yep. in your brain too with that first date excitement. If you could do that like once a week, of course you could get addicted to that. And then yeah. real relationships take work. Well, why would you do that when you just keep swiping and having that high every once in a while? Maybe even you can, and you can even, like there's all these stories of people who book themselves like five online dates in a, in a night. And it's who like- Who has the time for that? People I don't make understand. The time, listen, I tell people all the time, and I live by this, people make the time for the things they really want to do. I guess that's true. They will find the time and the money. Don't When someone says, ah, I don't have the time, I'm just like, no, no, no. You carve out the time for the things you really want to do. That's true. This is why I have extramarital so affairs. Many. How do you have two children, a house, a mortgage, oh and a God, kid, and a, and a spouse? But you made the time to That's have true. an extramarital. It takes time to build up oh that God. kind of flirting, to have the sex. You Bless made the time to do the things you want to do. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. But that's I also, point. you know, I think a lot of people think about millennials when it comes to sex. I think we're spending too much time thinking the opposite of you guys because we see a lot of, you know, sexualized, you know, Instagram young women who are doing all of the stuff, uh, girls who are, you know, kind of getting into porn in a soft way. In a, and I think that's what they're judging your generation on. Yeah. So when they hear that you guys aren't having sex, that's why it's met with a lot of skepticism. Like, mm, really, yeah. have you seen her Instagram page? Absolutely. Have you seen that 15-year-old girl in the photos that she's sending the guy in her in her school? So speak to that. Like, what is that? What part of that? Like, how's that? Why is that happening? <laughs> I'm making oh, you man. speak on behalf of everybody. Yeah, but like, gosh. I think, um, I think there's a lot of pressure on um, women to present themselves as sexually self-actualized beings. Mm. And um, sometimes that presents itself in an eroticized way. And sometimes that's, I talk about this in the book, about how that sexual liberation gets associated with the feelings of empowerment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of young girls feel like if they take a nude photo of themselves, that's something that they're doing because they love their body and they feel really empowered when they do that. Can we discuss that? Yeah, I think it's a really complicated thing because yeah. far be it from me to tell any woman what is empowering to her because that's a really personal decision. But Absolutely. at the same time, and this is what I say in the book, it's like, okay, we want to think about how our empowerment is still fulfilling the male gaze and is still satisfying the patriarchy and mm-hmm. men's expectations of what our sexuality and our femininity should look like. Mm-hmm. So I question it. I also don't want to judge other women and their choices and what they find empowering yeah. and because feminism is not a stick to beat other women with. So yep, I want to absolutely. be really conscious of that, but I also really want to question it. Yeah. I want to question it for two reasons. I'm so glad you brought that up. Because one thing, because I recently have a friend who's, uh, she caught her 15-year-old daughter sending very sexually suggest- suggestive stuff to a boy in her school. Um, and her daughter's response was, what's the big deal? Everybody's doing it. Right. Which was also kind of like, like every girl is doing this. Uh, and, I, and I asked her, I said, one question. Do the boys send you sexual videos? Like, do they send you a picture of the of their penis? Like, is it equal? Because if it's equal, then it's like fine. They're like, and she was like, no, they don't ever send photos. And I go, well, that's a, for me. It's like it's always about being things mm-hmm. being equal. Yeah. I go, well, that's the first thing you got to question. Um, and secondly, my whole thing is, I don't really care what if this is your sexual thing. Like, I don't really have judgments about people and what they want to do. But when you Let's. We have to address the reality that we are living in different times, and the internet. Everything lives on the internet forever, yeah. and you don't know what you want to be at seventeen yeah. or nineteen or twenty-three. Yeah. And when you put that sexually very strong, su- sexually suggestive video photo out there for a boy who you like for now, mm-hmm. and he likes you for now, things change and things can change, and you really don't know how vindictive or how what he's going to do with those photos. When you're trying to go for a job or run for office or any of those things, as we've seen with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the things you do 20 years ago where you're not even thinking can come back to haunt you in a way where something you've worked so hard for can be snatched away because of a decision you made lightly when you were in some crush phase in high school. So that is really what I want to tell young women. I'm like, I don't have a problem with your sexuality. God, you're not. It's no different. We all did it. Your grandma, as much Mm -hmm. as she's being a prude, (laughs) how do you think you got here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just that for me is the issue. Absolutely, I agree. And I think if I, I think about what I would say if I had 
a teenage daughter and how oh, would God. I want to I don't you even know, know what I would say. Oh my God, it's so overwhelming. Because how you don't want you don't want to crush no. their um you know oh. their sexuality or make them feel ashamed of themselves or their bodies, but you also want to protect them. Yeah. And and how do you protect them when they are also trying to carve out and like become their own person, but they don't understand yeah. how some of those decisions will affect them later on. And especially when we're talking about teenagers um, you know, those photos aren't always like even legal. And so, oh, you know, and that's, that's another big whole other kettle of fish. Yeah. Um, so I think about that and a lot. And now they're also prosecuting the person who takes the photo and sends it. It's not just yeah. the person who passed it on, like not the receiver of the photo who perhaps is a little bit older than the person who sent yeah. it. They're also persecuting the person who took that photo, video, and sent it as well. So it's a whole yeah. different legal yeah, conundrum. Yeah, it's really. Yeah, it's sticky. It's really, really interesting. So it's just a different time. But one thing that I loved about your book, I loved everything about your book, (laughs) is that, no, it taught me kind of like no matter, I know there's all this Gen X, Gen Y, millennial conversation, but I felt like at the base of it, we're all going through the same thing. Yeah. We're all going through the same relationship woes, the same insecurity, the same first loves, the same like, why did that person break up with me? Oh my goodness, what does this mean? Um, and I just kept on had like that I've had that feeling all throughout. I'm like, things are different for Nelwyn, clearly because she's in a different time. But oh my god, things are the same. Oh yeah, my it's god. funny, eh? It's so it's so similar. And I'm wondering, has anybody have you had that kind of feedback from anybody? Yeah, I think um I think there's some expression about, oh, every generation thinks that they've invented sex. And, you know, and that's obviously not true. And so I wanted to kind of stay away from perpetuating that idea in the book because obviously, you know, we've all been through some version of this, Mm -hmm. but we all go through life in our own context. And so the the context that we're going through informs our experience. But at the same time, the experiences are to a certain extent universal. But I had a friend who um, from grad school who is actually retired and she read the book and even said that she related to so much of it mm-hmm. even as um you know a senior no absolutely because it's it's so much about feminism and liberation when she was living through that whenever it was in the 60s or you whatnot. have a great story in your book about a girlfriend of yours who was like very like felt very strong and was a feminist but she also wanted to become a stripper yeah. Can we? Can you please tell the listeners that story? Because I was reading that and I was like, had to put the book down. I was like, I was screaming at the page. I was like, talk to her, <laughs> not when. Um, talk to me about that friend and that conversation. Yeah. Well, I think that it kind of goes back to this idea of um, presenting this eroticized mm-hmm. femininity and that the idea that that is now becoming associated with liberation and empowerment. So I think for this friend of mine, she was a gender studies major and very active in her feminism and this was a way of um, embracing her body and being in touch with her sexuality and also not feeling ashamed of either of those things. It's interesting that she had all of those strong feelings but the strip club is where she wanted to be employed. Yeah, that's a thing and I've talked to some other people about sort of the difference between stripping and burlesque and the difference in the communities around it and the culture Mm -hmm. around it where... This, where we where we were living at the time or where she was living was kind of a small community that didn't have an active alternative erotic scene. Mm-hmm. So the kind of only option was sort of typical, traditional, male-centric, patriarchal strip yes, club. strip club. Owned by a man, the people who are in there. Right? So again, men. it's kind of the same thing where you have to think about how this eroticized empowerment is playing into the male gaze and the patriarchy. How did you feel? Because I, I had a huge curiosity about what goes on in male strip clubs. Like, I was like, I made a boyfriend take me. I'm like, I need to see what is happening in there. Because I've been yeah. to female strip clubs, which is kind of like going to a nightclub. Women are, like, <laughs> clapping, and the men come out in costumes. And, like, the introduction is like, ladies, are you on fire? He's going to put it. Like, it was, like, very, like, woo! So I was expecting the same especially because Hollywood movies always made strip clubs sound like this very sexy place. And I was disappointed. What a sad environment of a handful of men in front of an overpriced beer with some girl on stage who is barely walking around a pole. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that was my experience too. So sad in there. Yeah, it was pretty pretty depressing. Did she become a stripper? No, she didn't. Um... And what I found really interesting about that was that, and again, if there'd been other avenues, if there'd been other, um, because I know in Toronto there's amazing communities of um, more subversive feminist erotica and burlesque and like LGBT friendly spaces and all these things where the eroticized empowerment 
is definitely not about the male gaze, and I know those spaces exist, but mm. at that time and in that place, that wasn't an, didn't have, an available avenue. Yeah. And so in that context, she um, she had, she had realized, basically, she had a male friend who said that if she took this job, she was going to walk her to and from, or at least home from yeah. work every night. Which is a reality for strippers. Yeah, and she she didn't feel that that was something that she would want to put on that friend of hers, and it, I think it sort of made her realize that the situation wasn't quite as empowering or as safe as... As she thought it in as her head. It would ideally be. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's again where I question okay, so what's empowering about this particular environment? Nothing. For the women, nothing. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, yeah, and it's really hard to know also when people are making choices because that's genuinely the choice that they want to make and when it's a choice that they're making because they feel for some reason a little bit coerced or a bit pressured or yeah. whatnot. So it's also, it's different for every individual as well. Exactly. I don't know. It was interesting because I thought that part was really interesting because I, uh, I, pardon me, because I know some women who stripped um, and they didn't take that job because they felt empowered. They took that job because they were completely powerless yeah. and they didn't have education and they didn't have paperwork to be in that country and they, they needed to eat and they didn't want to end up homeless. So they used exactly. the one tool that they knew could make them money. Yes, it put them in danger. Yes, you're in front of, you know, weird men who you don't know your safety's in danger or somebody's husband. But that was their only option. Exactly. To kind of really live so they could eat properly and, and take care of their kids and be at home for their kids during the day and work at night. So it was interesting to hear this young woman who felt so, you know, powerful. Like, you know, most of the if you talk to the strippers yeah. who are there, it really will sh- like change your mind about like a lot of them don't feel they the ones who are very successful would probably have a different opinion but a lot of them are like this didn't start off as me feeling empowered i didn't choose this over working at another company yeah and i think that's something that as we sort of re recontextualize how we think about erotica Mm -hmm. and the empowerment erotica also we something that i learned much later in life more recently is about how much um strip clubs are associated with also sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that we don't want to gloss over or forget about as well right like okay maybe this is empowering for you because you're coming to it with a lot of privilege yes right as opposed to but the industry as a whole you know we don't want to gloss over that and we don't want to forget that um there's these bigger issues going on as well which um I'm not the most educated or informed no, about, no, no, but, but that we, we want to be aware of. But just to touch on it, that's, that's why I thought it was interesting to talk about that. So I want to start off with reading this quote to kind of switch gears a little bit, because I love this paragraph so much, because I felt like, oh my God, so much of my um, dating life was just like this. Um, you're talking about this one person that you that you dated that you didn't even really like that much. So you you uh, you write, um, I didn't love him. I didn't even have a real true crush. But I had gotten a taste of what it felt like to be wanted, to be desired, to be validated by a man, and I wanted more. I was ruined. I could no longer feel as good about myself as he had made me feel. I had lost a beautiful confidence of childhood. It would be many, many years before I would be able to walk past a mirror without looking at my reflection. And I was like, good grief, no one. And I had to put the book down and walk around my living room and go, oh, my God. Because oh. you, it's just so beautifully kind of talk about, like, that confidence all of a sudden that once you have a boy like you in school, which is like, and there's a certain age where, like, that is so important. Once you kind of get a taste of that and people start treating you differently and your confidence is kind of like, oh, I have a boyfriend. I have somebody who dotes on me and brings me when it's Valentine's Day. I know I'm getting a whatever gram that shows up in class. Once you get a taste of that, it does change you and you do find yourself chasing that for a long time, like well past your school years. Talk to me about what that journey was like for you. Yeah, well, I think it was really, it was really hard, and I think it's um, a journey that probably all women have to go on to figure out how to get that that same confidence and that same validation from something other than a boy, right? And I think in a way, sometimes it's maybe a lifelong process, and right? I think some people never figure that out until maybe their first or second divorce. Yeah, I yeah. mean, entirely possibly. And yeah. I think, again, it, it comes just from, it's just so ingrained in our society that, and again, you talk about this in your book, that mm-hmm. being 
for women that being in a relationship is sort of this stamp of approval. It's sort of the societal stamp that you you're are. You're worthy. Yeah, you're worthy. You're pretty. You're you're kind. You're all of these things that you were before and you would be again after if that relationship ended. But and it's it's the everything from the fairy tales to the cosmopolitan magazines mm-hmm. to even media that is um quite feminist in a mm-hmm. lot of other ways. It's still there's still there's just this underscoring idea. So it's it's I think it's a lifelong journey, yeah. to be honest. But um I mean I did this exercise. Well, it wasn't even an exercise so much as I I stopped wearing makeup for um, two weeks, which is not a very long time. <laughs> but for some women, but it's a lifetime. I, you know, like I was, I wouldn't really leave. I wouldn't go buy milk without makeup on. And so then I was like, okay, I'm just going to not wear makeup for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this was not long ago. I was like 27 or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. So you'd think I would have maybe like had some more confidence by then, but it was really, really hard. And this idea of, you know, not being able to walk past a mirror mm-hmm. without looking in your reflection, that's tied up to so many things that we do, how we present ourselves, how we feel about um, what we need to look like before we leave the house. Mm-hmm. And and at a certain point, it, it all gets so muddled and confused between, am I doing this for a guy? Am I doing this for myself? Am I doing this for other women? Am I doing this just because I like to do it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I genuinely like to put on nice clothes and do my hair and, and do a nice makeup. It's fun. I like Absolutely. it. But kind of just deconstructing, you know, where is this coming from? Why mm. am I doing this? And why am I, why does this thing that I like to do turn into this thing where I can't even go to the corner store without it? Exactly. Right. And so that was kind of still at 27, I was still kind of breaking down some of those experiences from however old I was when that was taking place in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and still, those two weeks, I mean, I didn't I didn't go to any parties for those two weeks. No, and you probably <laughs> would have stayed away from any major social events. You know, Yeah, so I did, absolutely. I went through, I had a really bad acne phase for a lot of my uh, teen years and into, like, into my 20s. So that, like, and that's another, like, oh, my gosh, self-esteem crusher um, because people treat you like you're an other. Like, once you have acne, like, too much acne in your face, it's like, oh, you're that person. Um, so I had that issue, and then I went through that phase of putting a lot of makeup on, which, by the way, I can say this because I'm behind a microphone and not in front of somebody's face who's going through this, but I want to let every girl who's listening, if you have really bad acne, putting tons and tons of makeup on it does not make it go away. You're actually making people look at you more what you're trying to avoid is actually you're making people look at you kind of go that girl has so much acne so much makeup on top of her acne well don't do it like don't do it that's actually why I did my two weeks no makeup I didn't have like acne but I had quite a lot of um I would really get a lot of hormonal breakouts and I was in this cycle so I was like okay I'm gonna do no makeup I'm just gonna try and kind of reset my skin and clear and that was and um but I got comments. Yeah. Yeah. I got comments about the fact that I had breakouts and, and I wasn't covering them up and they were not nice comments. That's so horrible. Um, well, what people really need, it's like, get a good dermatologist. That's all you need to know. Drink lots of water, get a good dermatologist. It's not about the food you eat, but there's a hormonal thing. Yeah. But don't put lots of makeup. Like when I see young girls, I'm like, man, I want to tell you, I wish I could, I like, know. I wish I was, fr- like, I wish I knew you well enough to pull you aside to say, listen, I was there. Don't do it. Yeah. And I was too in the two weeks. It totally reset my skin. It's, I don't have perfect skin now, but it's a lot better than it's it was. 10 times better than yeah. makeup. Is, it's, it's nice, but it's not the be all end all. But at the same time, as a person who, um, I work in an, ind- I work in television. So putting on makeup is a must. No one would even. Yeah think about putting a woman in front of a camera without makeup and that's for like lighting and HD and all this jazz but I also because of that when I'm not working I like to like not put on makeup on but I'll tell you something that's really interesting when I'm not all gussied up that's what I call it mm-hmm. when I'm not in full drag uh, I'm in- invisible to people oh me too I notice there is a huge difference in the way Men and women talk to me and deal with me when I'm all done up and my hair is done and I have makeup on as opposed to when I don't. When I don't, I can literally set myself on fire. Yeah. And I feel like people would just be like, see any smoke? (laughs) Smell a little bit of smoke, but I don't know where it's coming from. Wow. Whereas like when I'm done, everybody wants to talk to me. Everybody's like, oh, the service at stores is 10 times better. And I go, isn't this something? It's crazy. I noticed that too. Probably not as extreme because um, I still, I've... I've really like changed my whole way of doing makeup where I don't wear, I used to wear so much and now even when I wear it, I don't wear as much, but I I notice it too, for sure. The way people, I mean, it's great on the one hand because um, not wearing makeup to go buy milk, you are not going to get catcalled. And that is, on the one hand, that's like 
so fucked please, up in yeah. so many but ways. At the same time, you're like, please don't but on cat the other call hand, me. it's like in my day to day life. Like if I want to look at okay, all of the things behind this and whatever, but but actually, just my day to day life, I just want to go buy milk. It's like, yeah, I'm not putting on makeup. I just don't want anyone to talk to me. Thank so you. Go buy my milk. Come yeah. home. So yeah, it is weird. It, it is, is, it is very really weird, weird. Yeah. and it's really kind of screwed up in a lot of ways. Yeah, and that's what it's. And I hate to say this, but it's the truth. When I see a woman who is always in like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The woman who's always like, even if she's wearing something casual, her tits are out. She's <laughs> got the lashes on. Her lips are on. Like you can tell, even when she's doing casual, you know, a lot of time went into that casual, and she's still. I was. I. I don't. I don't want to, but I'm secretly judging. I'm like, you still, like, even in your casual, you still have to make sure that you are presenting sexuality and a hyper-femininity, even though you're just, like, clearly going to the gym. But it's like, you've got your boobs are out, you got lips on, you got your lashes are perfect. It's like, wow. Like, yeah, and on the one hand, it's like, well, oh, my God, who can blame her? Of course, given all of these messages that were sent. And, I mean, I used to wake up at you know, like 6.30 in the morning or whatever before class and undergrad to put on my full makeup before my 8.30 a.m. lecture or whatever. And now I just can't be bothered. I mean, partly I work from home, so no one ever sees me. Yeah. Um, Working from home is the best. So, I mean, it's fantastic. (laughs) It's Um, the best. Yeah, so I like roll out of bed now and just like brush my teeth and go to my office. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, when it's I was nice to sleep in a little more. <laughs> yeah, when I was in university in my first couple years, I would be dressed to the nines. Yeah, me too. And I don't really, like, I look back and go, I don't know why. Like, I was sitting in a classroom, but I would be dressed up. And then I start to get compliments about it, which made it even worse, because now I'm like, oh, well, now I have to, like, I'm this person. I have to present well, this person. Well, it's weird. Like, Ugh. I got compliments, and I also got sort of backhanded criticisms too because like everybody what? else wore zin sweatpants like oh. i used to wear like i used to wear um like little heels like little heeled boots yeah. or little kitten heels whatever yeah. and i did all through high school all my friends did we just yeah. wore whatever and i showed up to lecture and everybody was and people just wouldn't stop commenting on my shoes yeah because we were and maybe it's because i went to theater school in undergrad so everyone was in like yoga pants and so when i started doing movement classes and like studio classes then i really had to also to- relearn how to present myself and it was actually a really good experience for me to be like oh okay like I can but wear these also, pants it's weird that's also kind of a bullying it's like oh why are you dressed up yeah it kind I of felt like, like it yeah it's like, well this is the way I feel today and this is what I'm going to put on yeah and again like that's I like to put together cute outfits but it felt like somehow other people felt like that was somehow threatening to them I don't know yeah okay so I want to move on to something else that you did in this book that I also have strong feelings about asking men out on dates had so many conversations with people about this and you know it's a different day and women should be asking men out on dates my strong feeling and I don't care what people how they feel about it I gotta say how I feel it's my podcast (laughs) Um, I'm not a big fan of it never have I did it once it it was horrible I went against my judgment and I was like I'm gonna do this and that guy reacted so negatively that I was like okay see I didn't I never wanted to do this I was like let's just try it it was a bad experience and I have strong feelings about it that it's like I call it the dog the the tail wagging the dog I feel like there's something about it. Like, I believe a woman, if she's interested in a man, should, of course, you can start conversation, introduce yourself, uh, present yourself to him, you know, you know, get on, you know, make conversation. But when it comes down to the actual asking out on date, I'm still like, I'm like, if he is not interested enough to ask me on that date after I have like, you know, made the, the move to talk to him and have that conversation, he doesn't want to go on a date. And I'm not putting myself out there any more than I have to because... Like why I'm doing so much heavy lifting here that if he was interested he would ask because I've been around enough men that I know when a guy is interested oh he doesn't care you could have a boyfriend and he will still ask you out on a date <laughs> you could have a husband and be pregnant and he'll still be like hey what are you doing on Friday right so I'm like no I will present but I, there's a line but you asked a guy out and I really want to get your take on asking men out on dates yeah man I don't know it's a tough call I mean I did it in high school. Mm-hmm. And it did not go well, um, as as you know from reading the book. Um, and I never did it again because I didn't have the confidence to do it after that. Mm. And I think now I would probably feel, oh gosh, it's such a tough question. Because would you do it again? That's the thing is, for years I didn't do it because I didn't have I didn't have the confidence to do it. I, okay, I, I really didn't. Um, now I think I. I think I would do it. Although I do agree with you that nine times out of ten. Um, guys, guys make it pretty clear when they if they like you, they're going to make it pretty clear. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm kind of back and forth on it because I I totally get what you're saying, and on the other hand, 
um, the feminist part of me is like, you know, wants to turn the tables um, and also wants to, I think maybe also because I felt like I couldn't for so long because I lacked the confidence to, mm-hmm. that now I would almost want to do it just to prove to myself that I have that confidence now. Mm-hmm. It would be like a personal challenge or a personal exercise. And, I'm going to ask out five like, guys this month. Yeah, like self-development or growth or whatever. Um, but on the other hand. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I have spent way too much of my life, you know, chasing after people who are not interested. So I don't want to do that ever again. And so I think it's like, where's the balance? There, this is our entire, you and I are living bloody parallel lives. And I think <laughs> because of all those insecure years of like ha- seeing a boy and having a crush and then building him up in my head and then like, you know, waiting for a dance or whatever. I mean, we're going to have like a chance to be outside of our normal interaction where it's like, well, if he's interested, uh, this is a chance for me to like put on something cute and then like, you know, dance or do whatever. And the disappointment of like, oh, he really, or him kind of going, oh my God, I have something to tell you. And you're like, what? Mm, oh God, and he's yeah. like, I am in love with your best friend. Yeah. Can you ask her out for me? And you're like, brr, brr, brr. Oh and you're like story great. of my life. Right? All through junior high, high school. So I think I learned that's where it comes from. It's like, I've seen enough. It's like, if he's interested, trust me, he will, he will make his way over to you. I'm yeah. not saying that you have to stand back with your arms folded kind of going, Come to me, bitch. You, right, yeah. you come. But I'm saying is, I think women just kind of. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of the asking out. I won't do it. Yeah, I don't know. I. I won't do it. I honestly don't know what I would do if I was, in that situation today. I. Yeah, I might. Just, like I said, I might just challenge myself to do it just to prove to myself that I can. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna chase too hard. Cause you know the dynamic. Yeah, no one wants to see it, but there's a dynamic. Well, and, and as I'm much also as, not interested in wasting my time, yeah. like, chasing people, you know? Yeah, and feminism is, like, I also think that feminism, we have to remember, like, there's been a lot of change for women over the last 50 years, but the men, they've not to do any changing. It's all pretty much, they've had to change their behavior, the yeah. bad boy behavior, yeah. but things are pretty much the same for them. So that's why I'm like, yeah, it's, it feels good for you to be like, oh, I'm a woman, I want to ask out because I'm a feminist, but I'm like, mm, the dynamics for them is still the same. They still like the chase. Which, you know, like, it's horrible to say, but it's the truth. They still want to chase the woman. They still want to have, like, the, I'm going to ask her out. And the, the dynamic hasn't changed. So yeah. as much as we talk about things being different in a really weird way, it's still the same. Yeah, it's true. I don't know. I haven't been single in a while, so. Well, listen, I'm trying a to, jungle out there. I know. I'm trying it's to think. Jungle. Like, that's where I say, you know, it's hard to, it's kind of hard to imagine what I would do today because I'm a lot more. Do you think millennial, and confident than I was the last time I was single. Yeah. Do you think the millennial women kind of don't have that attitude of like they're they're more apt to ask guys out on dates? Um, I definitely think that millennial women are a lot less um, constrained by gender norms. Yeah. In in all ways, in yeah. gender binaries and all that stuff. Um, in general, if I was going to make a generalization, but again, it comes down to the individual person. But I think in general, like those sort of gender labels are the stuff that grandma being... and mom were like oh back in our day a woman would never yeah I mean I have a friend who was totally open to the idea of proposing to her boyfriend and it didn't end up oh, happening don't even that get way me started now when <laughs> I sound like an old lady but I'm like oh the proposing like I would mean, you propose didn't... to a man why have I lost my fucking mind no not doing it <laughs> it was interesting to hear her um her thoughts on it because she didn't end up um doing it but but yeah, she was she was open to the idea. Good for her. Yeah, I have a girlfriend who said something so funny to me, and I'll never forget it. She was like, we were talking about this, like, um, asking a man, like, proposing to a man, asking a man out, and she was like, wait a second, so let me get this right. So this man that I'm asking out, I'm see him as a potential long term partner. So if I'm his wife, I'm the one, you know, 
making the babies. I'll be the there's more pressure for me to be this hot woman. And then after the baby, I got to get back into my jeans and that same size. Um, I have to be able to cook something good. So when his mother comes over, I got to keep a good house. She goes and she goes, I got to perform good blow jobs. She goes, they don't call it a job for nothing. <laughs> She's like, I got to be able to do my makeup. Well, make sure my hair is always blow dried. She goes, blow job, blow, blow dried. She goes, and then on top of it, you want me to ask you out? Even that you won't fucking do? Even that? I'm doing all the fucking heavy lifting in order for me to be your wife. I Now, you, you don't even, I'm even giving you the job to ask me on a date, which is the light, like the easiest thing to do. Because all the other stuff that once people get together, women carry a little bit more. And when she said, I go, you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. On the, Professional I mean, blowjob giver, yeah. chef. Uh, carrier of baby breastfeeder and now I gotta ask you on the day too oh honey you gotta cut me some slack here I mean yes I mean I have like a slight counter argument not even an argument just Mm -hmm. I mean yes I think I think women do carry so much more emotional labor Mm -hmm. in general with the home and the family and that's the expectations that society puts on women to be a specific type of mom and wife so much so much but I also do know talking with some of my older friends when they talk about the different dynamics in their relationships um, it is is different from from mine and I think there is a difference a little bit generationally I think Mm. things are starting to change I mean my boyfriend cooks he grocery shops he cleans he does laundry um, Sweet. And We're I did not him. have to train him to do that. Also, yeah. can we please stop using the word train in relation to our, yes. <laughs> like the men in our lives? Yes. Um, so when people, they'll say to me, oh, did you train him? I'm like, no. Like a dog. And That's it's like, like, wait a second. If he didn't do these things. He would be doing I, them. Well, but if he, if he wasn't with you and he was single, he would eat. He would be doing these things. And yeah. also, if he wasn't doing these things without me, quote unquote, training, training. him, I wouldn't be living with him. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the other thing, too. It's like, wait a second. I know, but if you listen to, watch every TV show from like the 70s, the 80s, and if you, it's, it's part of our vernacular, it's part of society's way of talking about men. Yeah. Every dad in every sitcom is a bumbling idiot. Oh, my God. And his wife so has to nag him to clean up after himself, to cook. And if he's taking care of his kids, he's babysitting. Like there is, Oh, that drives me crazy. And there are a lot of relationship dynamics where it does feel like, oh, well, she is the boss, naturally. And he's like a third or second child in the household where it's like, honey, where are my socks? There is a lot of that. And there are I a lot know. of people who play into that. So. I know. Don't even get me started. It drives me up the wall. Yeah. yeah. It, for so many reasons and on so many levels, and it people are crazy. more than comfortable for a man to become like incompetent, an incompetent adult. Which I'm always like, so if you weren't married to her, so you wouldn't have clean clothes, you right? wouldn't know where the dishes are, you'd never find your fucking key. Like, what is that about? But I think it's just those gender roles that people just naturally fall yeah. into. Yeah, and I think I mean it's still it's still hard not to, but I do think you know we're trying, we're trying to. Trying to get better. I love that your generation is is kind of trying to break all of that stuff, and you guys are doing a much better job with like the worst sales and marketing team ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. I'm like, you guys, your sales and marketing team is really failing you guys because everybody thinks the worst, lazy. Like, it's nothing good. So I feel like you guys are on the defense too. It's like I feel like everybody still thinks of millennials as like 17, 18. It's like no, but I mean. A 35 year old is a millennial. Yeah. So I mean, there's we really need to do some rebranding. Talk serious, to your sales and marketing team. I know it's not good. I'm telling you right now, as a Gen Xer, it's like ah, uh, people talk a lot of shit about you guys. I know a lot. Oh, I know. My generation, we are not perfect. No one says shit about us. I know you we, guys. Gen X is like the golden generation. They, like everyone we, blames the boomers for the planet and everything. Have, and just let me and, let me tell you, just as many idiots and boobs <laughs> as any other generation. But for some reason, our sales and marketing team squashed all that shit and we come out smelling like roses and you guys are the lazy ones it's you guys and it's like wow you guys are really got it and you're not like there's so many great things that are coming out of that generation oh but, but if only some of these boomers would retire we could uh, we could really show them what we can do you know Shots i mean fired. i'm, I'm kidding obviously no one wants you fuckers <laughs> to get out of the get out of the fucking way no <laughs> i'm kidding i'm kidding but i mean this morning my whole social media is just full of like you know the teenagers who are suing all these countries for the climate yeah. change and it's like you know what move over and yeah. like let these kids like get What's, some shit done can but we talk anyway a, i'm being no, i mean you know i'm joking around but no but can we talk about <laughs> what's so horrible what's going on with because there is something going on with there's a, a conference about climate change where you have very young people and i think that is a gen y oh yeah right? that's not millennials yeah that's, that's, that's gen a whole y, other, yeah and they are serious they know what's going on they're paying yeah. attention they're paying attention to the news at 15 i don't 
can't speak for sure, but I'm pretty sure I didn't give a shit what was happening in the news. Like I, I did, really but, didn't. Like, but I mean, my mom had CBC on like all the time when I was growing up. So my parents had the news on, but I wasn't paying attention <laughs> to it. Like, and it's so great that we have this generation that feels so strongly, and they they are informed and they are smart and they do know what they're talking about. But it is the boomers who are like, oh, patting them on the head, like so cute little girl that you're so concerned that the planet, uh uh uh, you should go. You have a bright future one day, little girl. And they're dismissing them like they don't know what they're talking about and that for me is like yeah. what is really standing out I'm like she really does know what she's talking about yeah. so it's ageism you're not listening to her because she's a girl or is because she's she's a teenager oh, and you both. don't think teenagers have a brain in their head like yeah. she's trying to protect her future she knows what she's talking about you are actually adult the one who is wrong yeah. and you don't know what you're talking about and it's your ignorance and your you know your laser focus on money instead of looking at the future of the planet is what's going to kill her future and you're not listening to her and she is screaming the truth at you and you are giving her bullshit and lies yep absolutely and the other day i literally saw a video of joe biden patting a young woman on the hand when she was asking him about climate change oh shut up literally patting her and i was just like oh my god get your fucking hands off of her i was like if that was me i just like don't fucking touch me yeah or first of all don't patronize me don't patronize me anyway yeah it's a whole other conversation it's like when it's like when one of your counterparts who's around your age who's in a position of power to do something and to change something and he's has that power and he says something stupid do you ever pat him on the head and go oh right oh that's such a good answer you would never think to do that something for them to really think about um before i also have to talk to you about like alcohol because you get into alcohol getting you like this super confidence yeah oh let's discuss that because i think especially when people get into their university years and into their 20s alcohol plays a heavy part in your dating life kind of let liquid courage is what Mm -hmm. i always call it to you know talk to that person dance with that person um whatever it is to kind of get that courage to talk to that person that you're really into um you went through that phase talk to me about that oh yeah gosh it's um it's really fucked up. I can swear on this show, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. Sense. I mean, a lot of it is the campus culture, right? Mm-hmm. So you're surrounded by this culture where it's what everybody is doing. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was just such a huge crutch in terms of um, like confidence boosting. Mm. And because I wasn't doing the work on myself that I needed to do to actually have real confidence. Mm-hmm. It was just so much easier Pour yourself to, a drink. to drink vodka. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you could gosh. go back and talk to that person you were back then about what you were doing, what would you tell her now about, about using alcohol to kind of get that courage up to, you know? Oh, I would tell her to go to some therapy to like work <laughs> on her self-confidence. I mean, I never had an alcohol abuse Mm-hmm. problem but yeah. I did have you know that that using it as that crutch and using it as a social lubricant to a bit of an extreme extent mm-hmm. and yeah I would just tell my past self you need to like there is issues here that you're not dealing with and you're probably not even aware that there are issues here because it's so much a part of the culture of binge drinking on campuses so yeah. you're not even aware that there are issues yeah absolutely um, and also I think because because I also was pretty, um, in a weird way, I was pretty strict with myself in the way that I drank. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never got, um, like, I'd never got hungover. The whole time I was binge drinking mm-hmm. in university, I was never hungover once. Because I, like, drank tons of water and I ate a lot of you toast were, and, like, I did all of these things. At the end of the things, day, you and I are so much like, right? we're still responsible. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna break out, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to have a bottle of water before I go to sleep so I will not have a hangover. Right, exactly. So I think, <laughs> so on the one hand, I'm like, I can tell myself, oh, I'm being so responsible. I'm a badass. And I'd be like, oh, and, you know, I get good grades. So, yeah. you know, and I, I think that that's sort of a way of kind of also just masking the reality a little bit. Yeah. So I think I should have just had, I mean, if I could just have kind of a stern talking with my past self and just be like you need to work on your shit I love that you brought that up because you're right it is it's so common that I don't think anybody sees it as an issue Um, especially if you think about your 20s this is a time where most people are doing the most clubbing and you know hanging out in bars and alcohol is a huge component to the and it's like 
I think it even because I remember there are times where I wouldn't want to drink, not because I was like had some you know religious thing. I just didn't want to drink, and I would like it was easier for me to drink. Mm-hmm. Is what I really want to say is like people around me would be like, "What's wrong? Like, do you have some kind of UTI? Like, why aren't you drinking? Are you on medication?" And I'm like, "No, I just don't want to have a drink." And people yeah. are like, "Can somebody get her a drink, please?" Like, people don't want to hear it. Even like if you don't want to be a drinker, it's so hard to not yeah. drink. So I get it, and it's like, yeah, and then that gives you that false sense of of courage. I would use alcohol to um, loosen myself up to yeah, dance that as well, yeah. To dance more provocatively at the mm-hmm. nightclub or to like I wouldn't be doing it for myself, but I would get that courage to go and talk like if my if my friend ever mentioned and it was a bad idea for her to mention, oh my God, that guy over there is really cute. If I had a couple of drinks in me, I'm like, I'm gonna go talk to that guy for you. And she, as much as she would beg me not to, I'd be like, No, dude, it's happening. I'm going. It was obnoxious. It was horrible. But it was like all of this really weird. I don't know. It's so yeah. weird to think back on that time. So I love that you brought that it's up. So true. What you said about sort of like loosening up also is huge for me. And I think because I was always a really, when well, I still am, a pretty uptight type A kind of person. And people were always telling me to relax, just relax, just chill out, you know, mm. just just let go, just have more fun. You know, maybe you'll meet a nice guy if you just relax. Um, so fucked up. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, you're too, you take yourself too seriously, blah, 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 blah. You overthink everything, da, 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 da. So I was getting also that message all the time of like, mm-hmm. I need to be less that way mm-hmm. and alcohol was a really quick way to yep. stop overthinking to you know not be so myself I guess mm-hmm. and that was a big part of the journey in the book it's like actually maybe I'm all right being myself yeah like, maybe that's okay yeah and hopefully anybody's listening out there like I always think it's you were very lucky because you you still kept your head on but I think about the girls who didn't keep their head on and that drinking turned into a real issue oh it would have been so easy I mean because I knew enough girls God, right? I knew enough girls where it was an issue where I'm like you are on the floor in a nightclub and you don't know where you are who you're with yeah. where you're per- like you don't know what's going on and that's why I'm like identify so much with you where I'm like I would have that fun I would dance but I never did anything outside of what I knew myself my sober self to do so I never hooked up with strangers I never like woke up somewhere where I was like where am I I never had like random hookups with people where the next morning I'm in some man's bed going I don't even know if we had sex or not like I never went that far but I had a lot of girlfriends who did and it's like and I know how easy it could have I never went that far either but it it's a very slippery slope yeah easily go south on you yeah Big time. And and without any effort, because somebody could also slip something into your drink, which, by the way, my mother also gave me that talk when oh, I yeah. was nine. Uh, yeah, me too. Maybe not nine, but definitely like 12. Don't yeah. leave your drink. Watch the person make the drink. Yep. And if you have to go to the bathroom and you leave your drink, you leave that drink. You never drink that drink again. Yep. And I was always like, God, this woman is so paranoid. And then I had a girlfriend who was roofied at a club and I saw <gasps> oh it and God. it was like, <sighs> she went from having a good time having a couple of drinks and I knew she had a, but she wasn't drunk to being like, she didn't know where she was. She was, she could not hold her own head up. And I thought to myself, Oh my, like I was like, my, and my I'm in the club going, my mother was right. There I am in like a tube top and a mini skirt. My mother was right. I got to change my life. I'm not like this. <laughs> this isn't good. This isn't the right thing to do. But, um, I love that you brought that up and I'm so glad that you came on to talk about the millennials and to, you know, let's give them, I'm on your side, millennials. You guys aren't that bad. You're not that bad. You guys are Thank all right. You. A bunch of virgins, but uh, we'll discuss. <laughs> <laughs> A bunch of undersex virgins who were brought up by Twilight characters. But who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Um, which team what team were you on with Twilight? Were you on it? Oh, I'm on the anti-Twilight team. <gasps> I never yeah. watched it. I, you are anti-Twilight. I'm just, an- yeah, anti-Twilight. Interesting. I read the first book and thought it was really screwed up and then just, you know. Well, apparently yeah. that's the reason why they're blaming Twilight for the reason why you guys aren't having sex. Because the two main characters didn't have sex, so this is why you guys are all holding on to your V-card. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that, too, but maybe people will just have to read the book to get to the section on Twilight. That's how you sell yep. a book, my girl. Yep. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, you want to know more? you got to read the book. And the title of it is Every Boy I Ever Kissed a Memoir. This wonderful author, Nelwyn Lampert. Remember that name. is such a great book. Um, thank you so much for writing this book. Well, thank you so much for having me to talk about it. Are you kidding me? This is why I had this podcast, because I was the type of person who reads great books, and I'm like, God, I wish I could talk to that person. And now I can be like, oh, I read that book. Can I have her on? No problem. Two o'clock? Perfect. So thank you for coming on the show. Tell people where they can find you and where they can buy your book, please. Yeah, so the book is available um, on Amazon and Indigo and indie bookstores everywhere. Awesome. Um, Yeah, support your local indie if you can. And I'm on 
the internet at nelwynlampert.com and social media at nelwynlampert. Awesome. Well, is this is this your first book? It is. Yeah, it's my Are first you gonna, book. Do you think you'll write another one? I know it's kind of like asking a woman who just had a baby if she'll have another one, but you no, know. I will absolutely write another book. Good, yeah, absolutely. I think you need to. Yeah, I really think it you might need not to. be in the same uh, same like topic, but yeah. I will definitely be writing another book. Absolutely. Well, I will be the first one to read it. I'm such a huge fan. Um, I also want to remind everybody from the remind you can uh, to the listeners you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Play Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Um, you can also buy my lovely book. I feel weird now, like pitching my book, but you know I got to do it, folks. We got to you know we got a mortgage to pay here. Um, <laughs> we get my book at Indigo, any of the um, indie bookstores as well as as well as Amazon, which is probably the easiest. I think it's on sale now, which is always great. Um, and send us your relationship questions or comments to single. Girl Problems Podcast at gmail.com. That is all the time we have. I had such a good time. Thank you guys. And until next time, bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.